nuclear. La la la, we can't hear you. Resident in the Piketon, Portsmouth area of Ohio have been claiming for decades that their exposure to radioactive contaminants from the operation of the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant, which reprocessed uranium for nuclear weapons and is now being torn down, as well as other facilities on the site, were causing severe health problems, including cancers and early deaths. Did the so-called experts from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission or state and local elected officials, or even the state's media take them seriously? Nah, this is nuclear. They don't want the truth. They can't handle the truth. But victims who had been exposed to radiation kept speaking out, getting reports, data and analyses from genuine experts with hefty credentials and plenty of footnotes. So when an epidemiologist examines publicly available medical data on cancer rates in an eight-county area surrounding the Portsmouth Gaseous Diffusion Plant, and when he gets his results, he tells you, The increase in death rates in the area around Portsmouth is far, far greater. I would say at least half of the increase, probably much more, maybe three quarters, cannot be explained by the fact it's a poor area. The result from these two studies had a clear answer to me, and that was the death rates and the increase in local death rates are the worst I've ever seen of any area near a nuclear plant in the United States. Well, strong words. And when Joseph Mangano, an epidemiologist and head of Radiation and Public Health Project, crunches the numbers and tells us this situation in Ohio is the worst he's ever seen. But public officials, the NRC, and even the media won't consider his findings. You know that he has pinpointed a major location where you can find that scary, awful, dangerous seat that we all share. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat, it's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things nuclear from a different perspective. My name is Libby Halevi. I am the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what can happen when those nuclear so-called experts get it wrong. This week, we take a look at the long-standing, ever-increasing problems of radiation contamination in the Piketon-Portsmouth area of Ohio, site of the demolition of the long-defunct but still highly radioactive Piketon Gaseous Diffusion Plant, as well as a target for a new nuclear hub for Ohio that would take radioactive waste from multiple sites for reprocessing and or storage. We talk first with Joseph Mangano of Radiation and Public Health Project, He is an epidemiologist who crunched the numbers and came up with a truly horrifying picture of what's happening medically in Ohio. 
Then I talk with two longtime activists who have been working on issues in the Piketon-Portsmouth area for decades. Vina Colley of the Portsmouth-Piketon Residents for Environmental Safety and Security, or PRESS, as well as the National Nuclear Workers for Justice, and Pat Morida, chair of the Ohio Nuclear Free Network. They'll bring us up to speed on the history of the site, the history of protest against it, and the ongoing frustrations that come from having to deal with the so-called experts. We will also have nuclear news from around the world and more honest nuclear information than anyone wants to pay attention to in the midst of the United States orgy of shopping that is this week's Black Friday. All of it coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, November 14, 2023, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. Starting out here in the U.S., where the great big story is that New Scale Powers plan to build a novel nuclear power plant comprising six small modular nuclear reactors, none of which currently exist, fell apart this week when prospective customers for its electricity backed out. Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems, or UAMPS, a coalition of community-owned power systems in seven western states, withdrew from a deal to build the plant, designed by New Scale Power, because too few members agreed to buy, and its cost had more than doubled to $9.3 billion. Mason Baker, CEO and general manager of UAMPS, said that in the near term, quote, we're going to focus on expanding our wind capacity doing more utility-scale solar, and batteries. To some observers, the plan's collapse also raises questions about the feasibility of other planned, what they call advanced reactors, but are really non-existent small modular nuclear reactors. Edwin Lyman, a physicist and director of nuclear power safety at the Union of Concerned Scientists, said, There's plenty of reasons to think the other projects are going to be even more difficult and expensive. And David Schlissel of the Institute for Energy, Economics, and Financial Analysis says the communities and their ratepayers have avoided a giant financial debacle. In the stock market, New Scale's share price fell by over 40% on the news. The big problem for the nuclear industries is that small modular nuclear reactors, which do not exist and so remain unproven, and renewable energy, which is very much proven to work, and it keeps getting cheaper. So the window for small modular nuclear reactors to demonstrate their worth, which they don't have any, but their opportunity may not be a large one, and it's closing rapidly. Since 2014, the U.S. Department of Energy has given New Scale $600 million, according to a Reuters report, and is promising a further $1.35 billion U.S. dollars for the Utah project in 2020. In Illinois, the state legislature has voted overwhelmingly to support what they call a next generation of nuclear power plants in Illinois. But the universe seems to have a sense of humor because, ironically, this embrace of new nuclear came only one day after the collapse of New Scale's planned project with UAMPS, the only seemingly viable project for a, for a small modular nuclear reactor anywhere. Despite the best efforts of Nuclear Energy Information Service based in Chicago, where despite seven legislative hearings over the past 10 years, the legislature failed to hear repeated warnings associated with the development of small modular nuclear reactors, including 
coming from an industry that can't build reactors on time, is rife with cost overruns, has recently endured three major nuclear-related corruption scandals in Ohio, South Carolina, and Illinois, and already cannot compete in Illinois' energy market without needing $3.05 billion in taxpayer-guaranteed bailouts. We're going to talk with Dave Kraft of NEIS and learn a lot more about this. And if you listened to last week's show, you heard a big plug for NukeMap, the Alex Wellerstein platform for determining just what a nuclear bomb would do to your neighborhood. Well, this week, Newsweek used NukeMap as the basis for an article entitled, Nuclear Bomb Map Shows Devastating Impact If New Weapon Dropped on Europe. NukeMap.org. Go there and visit for yourself. We have full instructions up at Nuclear Hot Seat, number 647, from last week. And we'll have a link up to a really big, important article by Kate Brown, author of the brilliant breakthrough book, Manual for Survival, A Chernobyl Guide to the Future. Now she's published an extensive article, Classified, The Secret Radiation Files. Health physicists fear lawsuits more than nuclear accidents, and it is a real eye-opener on how, in 1987, just one year after the Chernobyl accident, the U.S. Health Physics Society held a conference with a keynote speaker from the Department of Energy speaking on radiation, the offense and the defense, indoctrinating the listeners into what amounted to the party line, that the biggest threat to nuclear industries was not more disasters like Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, but lawsuits. The link will be up on our website. Pacific Island nations are continuing to express concern over the release of radioactive tritium-contaminated water from Fukushima directly into the Pacific Ocean. The 18 members of the Pacific Islands Forum said that there were strong concerns raised by forum leaders for the significance of potential threats of contamination to the health and security of the Blue Pacific. Speaking of radiation in water, Russia has raised the alarm about nuclear waste storage in Ukraine reaching unsafe levels, warning of a high chance of approximately 12 million tons of radioactive waste entering the Dnieper River and groundwater. A statement published on the Russian Foreign Ministry's website claims that the volume of nuclear waste at the Pridniprovsky chemical plant, located in the city of Kamyansk, has reached 42 million tons. The probability of about 12 million tons of that radioactive waste entering the river could be the result of possible erosion of the dam at one of the storage facilities, which are located only 800 meters, or half a mile, from the river. Maintenance of the site has been difficult because, hey, the war? And the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists has published a new study, Nuclear Weapons Sharing 2023. Collectively, the world's estimated 12,512 nuclear warheads belong to just nine countries. However, there are more than two dozen additional countries that participate in nuclear mission-related assignments. While these countries do not have direct launch authority over any nuclear warheads, they play an important role in their storage, planning, delivery, and safety and use control, and therefore merit a degree of scrutiny alongside their nuclear-armed peers. We'll have a link up to this article on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com, under this episode, number 647. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment, but first, a very important announcement. 
When an opportunity comes up to expand and grow nuclear hot seat, it's important that I take hold of that opportunity with both hands. One is coming up. The last week in November, right after Thanksgiving, the United Nations is hosting the second meeting of states' parties on the Treaty to Prohibit Nuclear Weapons, a full week of meetings, actions, panels, networking, trainings, and planning for the coming year and years. Representatives from the 93 nations that have already ratified the treaty and declared their lands and waters to be nuclear weapons-free, as well as those that are in the ratification process, will be attending, along with representatives of anti-nuclear and environmental NGOs and activists from around the world. It's also the same week as the 2023 Nuclear Free Future Awards Ceremony. They planned it that way. And it's being held right across the street from the UN on Tuesday, November 28th. So it will be quite an international networking opportunity. This is a chance to massively expand the international reach of Nuclear Hot Seat and bring you even more diverse guests who can explain in detail what is going on in their countries regarding nuclear activities. What I need is your help to cover the costs. I'm fortunate to have a place to stay in New York with a friend, but I still need donations to meet the rest of my expenses, including the airfare, ground transportation, and meals. If you have come to value Nuclear Hot Seat and the quality of information we provide you every week, then you'll recognize how important this trip will be to our future reach and on-the-ground coverage of nuclear issues literally around the world. So with that in mind, please, donate now as generously as you can. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com, click on the red Donate button. If you have Zelle, you can send money directly to info at NuclearHotSeat.com. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are tax deductible. Please do not wait. Hit pause. Go to nuclearhotseat.com right now to donate. And know that whatever you can do to help, I am deeply grateful for this opportunity to serve your better. Now, here is the first of this week's featured interviews. The nuclear facilities at Piketon, Portsmouth, and Ohio have been a cluster of problems for decades. Work began there in 1954, manufacturing enriched uranium for nuclear weapons. And by the 1990s, cancer rates in the surrounding area were increasing dramatically. For years, concerned citizens, former workers, and NGOs have been fighting for government transparency on what's happening there, with a response of either total silence or a variation on the there, there, missy, don't worry your pretty little head about it defense. And now, Ohio is bragging about expanding the facility and making Ohio a nuclear hub for all kinds of radioactive garbage. One of the steps that was taken by those who oppose expansion and continuation of radioactive work on this site was to engage Joseph Mangano. He is Director of Radiation and Public Health Project and an epidemiologist epidemiology being a branch of medical science that investigates all the factors that determine the presence or absence of diseases and disorders. RPHP's mission statement is to conduct research on health hazards of nuclear power and educate citizens and officials on the results. Joe Mangano crunches public health data and teases out a true picture of the public health impact of nuclear reactors that neither the government nor the nuclear industry is willing or able to provide. Here, he focuses on his recent alarming findings regarding the Portsmouth, Ohio area. 
We spoke on November 10, 2023. Joseph Mangano, it's always great to have you here with us on Nuclear Hot Seat. It's my pleasure. Review for the listeners what your group, Radiation and Public Health Project, is and what kind of work you do. I am the executive director of Radiation and Public Health Project. It was conceived in the late 1980s by two gentlemen. One was a physicist, Ernest Sternglass. The other was a statistician, Jay Gould. Their vision was to develop a group that would do research and education on uh, radiation health issues, specifically nuclear power plants and nuclear weapons tests. That was independent of government, independent of private industry. In the past 35 years, we have developed a kind of a mountain of, of evidence, which we've published and presented to the public, showing that after nuclear power plants open and after atomic bomb tests were exploded, there is an increased risk of cancer and of other diseases. What has been your involvement in that of Radiation and Public Health Project in the Piketon-Portsmouth area? Yeah, although we've worked with a number of groups near a, a number of nuclear plants, uh, we, we've never been involved with the Piketon plant for one reason or another. In the summer of 2022, I received a phone call from the Ohio Nuclear Free Network who has been involved with the Portsmouth plant for quite a long time, asking me for help, asking me to prepare information on morbidity and mortality close to the piping plant. So you've been working on this since 2022? I have and have produced two reports, which are available on our website, radiation.org. What were your findings in these reports? first report came out in November 2022. That report looked specifically at Pike County, where Portsmouth is located. And I was able to find several things. First of all, of the 88 counties in Ohio, the county with the highest cancer incidence rate, new cases in the past 10 years, was Pike County, number one, which it hadn't always been. The second piece of information I looked at was mortality on, on death rates in Pike County. And luckily, uh, I was able to get information all the way back to the late 1960s, up to the present. And until the 1990s, Pike County death rate compared to the U.S. was something like 10 or 15 percent higher, which you would expect. Pike County is a relatively poor and a relatively needy area. However, since the 1990s, the gap between Pike death rate and the United States death rate has grown vastly. I looked at deaths in persons under 75 years old, which we'll call the premature death rate, since the life expectancy is about 75 years in this country. Well, from 10 or 15% higher, it is now 85% higher in the most recent several years, almost double. 100% would be double 
and uh, the, the gap is still growing. So in a few years, it, it may in fact be double. And this is based on uh, in four years at Pike County, almost 900 people died. It's a very significant change. And the, the report was presented, not just on our website, but in a series of, of television reports throughout Ohio. And has it been peer-reviewed? It has not been peer-reviewed as of late. What was decided, rather than go through the very laborious peer review process, the Ohio Nuclear Free Network suggested doing another study. The questions that were raised were, that I couldn't answer was, is this very unexpected and very disturbing trend only Pike County, or does it extend beyond the Pike County border? And they wanted to know more about the question, is this only because Pike is a poor county? So I prepared a second report, and it was released at a public hearing in June 2023, and the questions were answered. Not only is Pike County's death rate rising rapidly, but the same is happening for seven contiguous counties surrounding Pike and actually downwind of Pike. Instead of 27,000 people in Pike County, these seven counties have about a quarter of a million people. And we found pretty much the same thing. Nobody is quite as high as Pike, you know, that 85% higher than the U.S., but they're all quite high and they only happened since the 1990s. What happened in the 1990s? Draw us the picture as to what is the possible positive event or situation that set this up? That's a very good question. And I can think of several possibilities. One might be, well, since the Portsmouth plant began operating in 1954, there usually is a lag time between exposure to radiation and the onset of cancer, and especially to uh, cancer deaths. It can take decades. That, that's one issue. Others who live near the Portsmouth plant felt that it might be a matter of what was going on, the, the, the activities at Portsmouth that changed over the years. There was one, I know, where the Portsmouth plant began accepting nuclear waste from the, the former Soviet Union right at about that time. It's very hard to pinpoint how much was, a, was it a lag in cancer, how much was it this or other issues. So we don't know, but it, it's true. The, the other answer uh, we got to, to question number two was, is this only a matter of the area being poor? Well, we took those seven counties that were all, all together, you know, and all very close to the Portsmouth plant, and we compared them with six other Ohio counties who were equally poor and had equally high unemployment and, and so on that were in Ohio, but far from Portsmouth. And, well, things are getting worse in those counties, but the increase in death rates in the area around Portsmouth is far, far greater. I would say at least half of the increase, probably much more, maybe three quarters, cannot be explained by the fact 
it's a poor area. The result from these two studies had a clear answer to me, and that was the death rates and the increase in local death rates are the worst I've ever seen of any area near a nuclear plant in the United States, easily. Out of 3,100 counties in the United States, it's in the top 50. It has one of the highest death rates in the entire United States, and several of the counties right nearby are right behind. There's now talk in Ohio of turning Portsmouth into a, quote, new nuclear hub, a move that has been roundly denounced by local NGOs and activists. What are your thoughts on increasing the nuclear activity here? Any increase in nuclear activity in an area like Portsmouth, given this these horrendous data on cancer and mortality, are at least irresponsible and at worst dangerous. You've got a population that has been suffering at much, much greater levels than previously. I mean, things are bad enough as it is. The idea of, of just selecting this site without any consideration for health risks is, again, somewhere between irresponsible and dangerous. And in anything I've seen that the Department of Energy has prepared about suggesting new nuclear facilities at the site, the issue of health is not even mentioned, which is a terrible, terrible abrogation of the duty of our public officials to protect our people's health. If anything could or should be done in this area, what do you suggest it should be? There should be a moratorium in building any new nuclear facilities at the Portsmouth site until the Department of Energy and state and local and national health departments have fully examined what's happened in the past. Has the operation of nuclear facilities in that area had an adverse effect on local residents? Until we get a clean bill of health that it hasn't harmed anyone, these new plans should be scrapped. Joe Mangano, it's always informative, eye-opening, jaw-dropping, and really terrifying to hear what you have to say about the facts, the truth, the science, the epidemiology behind what's happening at these nuclear sites. And I want to thank you for once again being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you for having me. Joseph Mangano. The website for Radiation and Public Health Project is radiation.org, and we will have a link up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 647. For more information on recent findings around Piketon, Portsmouth, we'll also have a link up to our October 10, 2023 interview with Dr. Michael Ketterer, He provides some eye-opening information on the radiation levels from the demolition releases. That's again at NuclearHotSeat.com. You can go directly to episode number 642 or click on 647 and look for the link. Of course, we wouldn't know about what's happening in nuclear Ohio without all the work of dedicated citizen activists. And we have two of the top ones to fill us in on what's been happening and not happening there. 
Vina Colley is head of the Portsmouth Piketon Residence for Environmental Safety and Security, or PRESS, as well as the National Nuclear Workers for Justice. Pat Morida is chair of the Ohio Nuclear Free Network and has worked on nuclear issues for more than 30 years. I spoke with the two of them on November 10, 2023. Vina Colley and Pat Morida, thank you so much for being with me this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank Thank you you for for having having us. Let's start out with a bit of orientation. At various times, I've heard this site referred to as Portsmouth, Piketon, Ports. What do we call it? And that's number one, a disaster. But it's called the Portsmouth Gas and Diffusion Plant that is actually located in Piketon, Ohio. And it's kind of hitting back in away from the main stream of town and it's hidden hidden behind all of these little mountains and things but it's actually right in the middle of pike county ohio and portsmouth is about 20 miles away from the plant it's kind of kind of divert everyone about where the plant was at the doe abbreviates it as ports p-o-r-t-s so we'll call it ports i'll call it ports Bina, what is your background as regards the Piketon, Portsmouth, whatever we call it site. And what is your group? What does it do? Our group is called Portsmouth Piketon Residence for Environmental Safety and Security Press and National Nuclear Workers for Justice. I'm a former worker at the plant, and I started complaining about safety issues in 1983. I was an electrician at the plant. And from there, the community had filed a lawsuit, and I got involved with them in 1986. So I've been working on this Piketon site since 1983, filing issues about the contamination on-site, off-site, fighting for the workers to get compensation, fighting for the community to have accountability and transparency from the plant, which we don't get. Pat? What is your background and how did you become involved with this site? I've been a coordinator with the Ohio Nuclear Free Network for the last two years. And I'm a volunteer. I've been volunteering in anti-nuclear work since 1981 when I joined the Ohio Nuclear Weapons Freeze Campaign. And I've also been a volunteer with the Sierra Club. And we have uh, we have opposed what's going on at the Piketon site in the various iterations that I served in since uh, 1981. Recently, there have been some rather bumptious articles in Ohio media about Piketon becoming what they are calling a nuclear hub for the nation. First, what are they talking about? And then what's wrong with it? Well, I can start out and say that there are several proposals being put out there for new nuclear and they're tearing down the old facility, which was highly contaminated because unbeknownst to the public, they brought in not just uranium when they were doing the uranium enrichment, which started in 1954 and ran through 2001, but they also brought in high level radioactive waste and ran it through all those process buildings. So the site is highly contaminated. So now one of the things that they're doing is is decommissioning the plant, taking it down, without proper covering, and that is really increasing the off-site contamination. So there are several things proposed. Two of them are really getting started. One of them is Centris, the American centrifuge uh, operating plant that will 
begin enriching uranium. And they are starting that process now. When you talk about this site being used not just for U.S. radioactive nuclear waste, but also foreign nuclear materials, what are we talking about here? What is being or what was being trucked in and from where? Do we know? Some come from Russia. We fought really hard to keep the waste cell out of Piketon. So the community didn't want it. We had standing room only in meetings. So all of a sudden, they let it die down, and then they went to our area county commissioners. They allowed the 12 waste sites on site, the cells. And to me, I think that was the beginning of us becoming the world's largest nuclear waste dump site. So now we have the waste cells. They're tearing down these buildings, putting some of these buildings inside this waste cell. There's 80 acres on site that they just gave to a community group called Sodai. Free, free 80 acres. Sodai is going to take these 80 acres and they're going to sell 20 acres at a time to these two nuclear power plants. So 20,000 times their 80 acres is going to give them $1.2 million. And we're supposed to get two uh, nuclear power plants, which are going to be small modular reactors. And my feeling on it, and Press's feeling on it, is they're going to start cleaning up all of these other sites, Hanford, Fernald, Oak Ridge, Savannah River, and they're going to send their transuranics to Piketon for us to reprocess. The same thing that Piketon had been doing for 70 years without the knowledge of the community or the workers. We're going to be reprocessing this fuel, and then they're going to feed it into these small modular reactors if we get them. They announced that we're getting them, but I can't seem to get any real answers from the national groups if we're getting them or not, because they keep saying some of these other sites are getting them. But our commissioner made a, he's on the SSA board for the company, and he made it very clear in a press release that we're getting these two power plants, these two small modular reactors. The irony of that is that right now there are no small modular nuclear reactors. None has been built. None has been tested. There is not even a prototype out there. And the one company that had a design that was approved, New Scale, the irony is that just this week, it was one of our lead stories this week, their one order for a small modular nuclear reactor has been rescinded. That the utility company that had ordered it decided that there were too many problems with it. While saving face and saying that it was too expensive. And they backed out. And at the same time, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission has them under heavy scrutiny because there are problems with the design that keep showing up and showing up and showing up. So nobody's got a small modular nuclear reactor. And yet, what steps are being taken in Piketon, Portsmouth, as though these reactors exist and are coming to town? It definitely sounds like that's what's going to happen. Of course, that's that's still in the future. That isn't really set in stone yet. These new reactors are really, like you say, on the drawing board. They're not really approved yet. 
it's a lot of pie in the sky, but it's very scary because we don't want any more nuclear reactors there. The terms that they're floating around, reprocessing and recycling and processing, and it all can refer to all kinds of different industrial technologies. So these are uh, sodium-cooled reactors that they would be, so they don't use any water. It's sounding like it's a go, so we just are waiting to see. There's currently an operating facility. In addition to everything that's being torn down without proper protection to keep the dust down and keep the contaminants away. Little side note on this is that there was radioactive americium and technetium found in the duct system of the Zahn's Corner Middle School, which is in proximity to the Piketon Portsmouth site. And had to be closed down because of radioactive contamination that was found there, which was off-site from the reactor. And that's just indicative of the kind of off-site contamination that undoubtedly is throughout there. We will link to an interview with Dr. Michael Ketterer, who has, I know, been working with you, who has additional information on that. But on the site right now, not only are they tearing down old facilities, there's currently an operational facility with about a thousand workers there. What is that? What does it do? And what are the concerns about it? Right now, they're building the uh, American centrifuge plant. And I think I talked about that before. That is a go. They're supposed to have 44 pounds of high assay, low enriched uranium by this December, that's only going to cost $6.2 million per pound. These are the latest technology, but we are scheduled to enrich 19.75%. Now that's far too a precise amount to even have, you know, 19.75%. Why that? Because at 20%, it's actually not low enriched by definition, it's high enriched. And at 20%, it cannot be exported. So there's a lot of plans to export this fuel. There's a lot of plans to re-enrich it. They're not saying any of this. They are saying it's going to be fuel for reactors, but these are non-existent reactors. They are making the fuel, but they have no reactors that need it. It seems that there have been a lot of reports and studies done on the area. One of the groups that's been involved is the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, the ATSDR. What is it, what is it supposed to do, and what does their latest report say about the port site? They're a scam. They've been in here once before. They, they compiled a bunch of stuff together uh, they use solutions, some laboratory that the DOE allows them to use. Uh, they don't really take samples. They just look at data. We've asked them for their data. Uh, they're claiming that we don't have any problems here. And, you know, Python is a uh, special cohort site for the workers. And 22 cancers is what they're paying these workers for. We doubled the Superfund list way back when they started adding all these sites to the Superfund, but we were never put on it because of the 1989 consent agreement with the state of Ohio. So Python has been downplayed all of these years because we weren't on the Superfund list. But we are a special cohort site. Workers are being paid for their 22 cancers. It's not an easy bill. There, There is a bill in place for a lot of these workers, and they just have to fight for it. 
ATSDR, uh, they come in once before. They lied to the community. They got caught up in the lies. And now they're back in here again. And there's some type of agreement between the health department and the DOE and solutions and ATSDR to do a health assessment to see if we really need help here. And of course, they're too scared of the industry. They're being investigated themselves, but they're too scared of the industry to do a, a, a good report for the community and the plant. They're more for the plant than they are helping the victims. Well, Vina and I went to the meeting last night that the ATSDR had for the public, and we thought we'd be able to speak on our concerns, but no, we were only allowed to ask questions. So they gave us, so they spent a whole long time, this Paul Charp, who heads this up, and he's apparently the only investigator and the only one that's responsible for writing this. They said that the background level, and they took the background level for their study, and, and they subtracted the, what was it, piped in, they subtracted the background level from that, but they took the background level from Otway, Ohio, which is about 14 miles away, south side of school there, and that was almost as high as the reading at the Zahn's Corner Middle School. And that reading at the Zahn's Corner Middle School caused the Board of Education to close that school. So nobody's really talking about that school being closed. They're building a new school. The Department of Energy has given money to uh, the Southern Ohio Diversity Initiative, and they're going to use that to build a new school. But there are, I think, five children at that school that died or have various forms of leukemia. That was one problem with the study. Then uh, the man he said, well, he didn't really care. Uh, Paul Charp said, well, it didn't really matter where the uh, contamination came from. And so I said, well, wouldn't you want to stop the contamination and close down any facility that was causing it? And in their study, they refused to look at Dr. Ketterer's studies. Now, he's the chemist and biochemistry professor that you have interviewed. They did not want to look at Joseph Mangano's report, which was devastating, and you've interviewed him also. They did not even look at the Department of Energy's own commissioned report from Oxier and Associates, which named several things that needed to be followed up on, which including testing of plants, including retesting the Zahn's Quarter Middle School, including testing of fish and garden produce and farm produce. In talking with Joseph Mangano, which I did just a few hours ago for this show, he made a statement that made my jaw drop because I've talked with him many times during the years. I know that he does epidemiology. He studies the medical data to tease out exactly what is going on. And what he said was not only was the cancer rate in Piketon around the plant, the highest he had ever seen. But for the seven counties surrounding it, he had never seen worse cancer rates in any study that he's done. And he's done more than a dozen since 1980. This is significant. And the fact that you have members of government standing in the way of even the sharing of that information in a public forum speaks to some very deep you should pardon the expression, the fix is in kind of manipulation. What are you attempting to do? Are you still coloring within the lines or are you trying other things to try and break through this logjam and get the information out 
to the wider community? We have for 30 some years trying to get people to listen to us on a wider span because this facility are treating us like human guinea pigs. We're like an experiment to them and they feel like we're stupid and we can't read their documents. Their own documents say that they have off-site contamination. Even the wells of some of the people in the community were contaminated and the EPA knew it because we found the documents at the EPA office. We had to go to the community and tell them because the company would not come and tell them that they were drinking contaminated water. And the people that owned the one house that I went to have died of cancer. Their kids have died of cancer. This is just a tragedy what's going on here. We're only up against the U.S. military industrial nuclear complex. Oh, is that all? But it's, in a way, it's imploding. It's relying almost entirely on public funds. And those funds are going into building things that can't be really used except in wartime on to damage things or make nuclear power that's a front for the nuclear weapons. So, you know, we just are trying our best to get the word out. We have a website, onfn.org, people can look at. We try, we're a few volunteers and it's got a lot of good information on it. We try to keep it updated with things that are going on. And they, there's stuff at the Ohio legislature where they now want to make uh, nuclear power defined as green energy. Yes, that is a bill at the Ohio legislature. They have already passed. Well, the Ohio legislature is not the best, shall we say. They've already made natural gas green energy. Maybe that's just the color that our faces turn when we hear this information and we know how false it is. What has been the response from local legislators or local media or state media to the story that you represent as to the contamination and the ongoing problems there? Well, you know, we've wrote our legislators now for 30 some years. We broke the story in 1999 about the plutonium. So our governor, Mike DeWine, was involved in that. Ted Strickland was involved in that. George Vornovich was involved in that, but they downplayed the plutonium, but they did admit that we had plutonium at the site then, and that's what helped get the workers compensated. Right now, when something happens, our representatives comes to town, and all the meetings are held on the plant site, and none of the community people are allowed in there. It's all about the workers and the jobs at the A plant. I'm finding out, too, that some of our legislators have been donated money from the plant. And so they're not calling us and talking to us. One of the community residents come, Gina Doyle, came to the meeting and she had printed off all of the people on Facebook who wrote in about their cancers in Pike County. I think she had like 500 names and they all gave what was wrong with them. And she brought that to the meeting and she did give that to show that to Senator Brown's uh, staff And I have called him three times today, and there's no return on the phone calls. There were staff people from the governor's office, from Brad Winstrup's office, who's the local U.S. rep down there, and Senator Brown's office. And they all left before the public spoke. So they all stayed until the, while the Oxier made its presentation. Well, they are supposed to be listening to the public. That's what we pay them for. But instead, they have this, they listen to other agencies. So we've had a very hard time getting local reporters to 
interest in it. Uh, but there is one, the Scioto Valley Guardian. Please support and read their information because they do a really fair job and they do report on negative things that go on down there. If the listeners to Nuclear Hot Seat were to support you in some way that would be meaningful in terms of opening, if not hearts, maybe not even minds, but at least eyes to what you are going through and the points you are trying to make, what can we do to help you? We're trying to get people to call in and get us on the downwinders list to see if they can't help the people with the cancers like they have the workers. Are you talking about RECA? Radiation Exposure Compensation Act. Yes. Yes. I think that would be a good process. I know there's a lawsuit in the community for some of the people that signed up for the lawsuit, but there's people in a 50-mile radius in those seven counties around the plant that are all suffering and families with their cancers. These people need to have some type of transparency and accountability for what is going on with all of us. And so far, the RECRA is the only thing that I can see that would even be possible for that. Yes, the RECA, the Radiation Exposure and Compensation Act, we really want to get that expanded. And there is a bill at the Senate that is expanding it. So we want people, please call your senators and say, yeah, please call your House members and tell them to please pass RECA, R-E-C-A, update, because that is expiring in 2024, and this is just to renew it. Then people can, if they want to get involved locally, you can go to our website, onfn.org, and sign up. You can email me, my name, Pat Marida, no dots or anything, P-A-T-M-A-R-I-D-A at outlook.com. Yes, thank you. We will, of course, have links up to the sites that you mentioned on nuclearhotseat.com under this episode. Is there anything else we haven't covered today that you would like to bring up now? At the deconversion plant at the Portsmouth Nuclear Site in Piketon, they are putting in a fourth line, which will, instead of deconverting the depleted uranium all the way back to uranium oxide and making it less chemically reactive, they are going to turn it into depleted uranium tetrafluoride, which will be used, not at Piketon, but which will be used to make depleted uranium weapons. These are radioactive, and these weapons have been used in Afghanistan, they've been used in Iraq, and they're being used now in Ukraine. They just, they leave the land permanently contaminated. And so this is another industry that's happening there. And then there are other weird proposals like hydrogen, but we don't think that's going to get off the ground. It's certainly not soon. Those uh, depleted uranium uh, cylinders that Pat's talking about, they give off some of the highest neutron exposures. They have plutonium and everything in these cylinders, and they're sitting outside. They're stacked three to four high. They were on the ground, and they did. After we complained, they, they did put them on some, like, railroad ties. But these things are giving off neutron exposures. They're having uh, breaches, and they're just sitting out in the open. There's over 24,000 of these depleted uranium cylinders that are sitting out in the weather, deteriorating and giving off the neutron exposures, plutonium, cesium, radiation, the highest neutron exposures, basically, until they start demolition, is coming from those cylinders that's sitting outside. So it sounds like 
from trying to clean up the old contamination, the old radioactive contamination, to ongoing operations, to planned operations, to storage, to leaking, to suppression of information to the media and to the public. This sounds like an ongoing nightmare. That's all there is. (laughs) That's all. Well, hopefully it's one that we can wake up people to at least some small portion of it and do something about it. I think I'm most stupefied by the level of blatant disregard for the public voice and the systematic exclusion of your voices from the conversation. This happens in all nuclear instances, but yours, I think, is one of the most egregious that I have heard, especially given the preponderance of studies and information and Joseph Mangano's reports and what Dr. Michael Ketterer has come up with, that you can prove the things that you're saying, but they will not let your proof be heard because it contradicts their lies. We will do our best to help get this information out into the world and also provide you with a copy of this interview that you can then send on to any of your legislators or newspaper people who might be a little bit too busy to actually put their eyes on material and might be able to listen to it in their car and hopefully not crash it along the way. We'll do what we can. And until there is the next iteration of this problem, which unfortunately I know there will be, and we have the opportunity to speak again, I want to thank you both. Pat Morida and Dinah Colley, for the work you have been doing, for your steadfastness, for speaking truth to power, no matter what it says in return. And of course, for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Lady. That was Vina Colley, who is the head of press, the Portsmouth Piketon Residence for Environmental Safety and Security, and the National Nuclear Workers for Justice. Pat Morida is chair of the Ohio Nuclear Free Network. After we finished the interview, Pat contacted me to let me know an update. First, that Senator Sherrod Campbell Brown, who is the senior U.S. Senator from Ohio, said the acceptance criteria for the dump had holes big enough to, quote, drive a convoy of trucks through, and that the dump is being built over cracked bedrock leading to the TA's River Aquifer. As Pat Riley put it, cheery thoughts. Meanwhile, we will have a link up to a well-timed satire article from The Onion entitled, Ohio Voters Narrowly Defeat Measure That Would Nuke Ohio. They were talking about the setting off of nuclear bombs throughout the state, but you don't need a blast in a fireball to get nuked. Still, a prescient little article. Activists, activists, shout out, shout out, shout out. Lots of activities as the second meeting of states' parties on the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which will be held in New York City at the United Nations November 27 to December 1st. 93 nations have already declared their lands and waters to be nuclear weapons-free zones under this treaty, and if you would like an introduction to the treaty and the issues that it represents, There is going to be a hybrid introduction and orientation entitled Humanitarian Impacts of Nuclear Weapons. It will be held on November 28, 
10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can attend either in person or online. That's what they mean by hybrid. Either way, you do need to register, and we will have that link up on the website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 647. And I will not only be at that event in person, I am going to be covering all five days of the meeting of the state's parties on the TPNW and attending the Nuclear Free Future Awards ceremony and celebration, which also takes place on November 28. Here's the thing. I'm going to be in the city as of Friday, November 25th. And if you're a Nuclear Hot Seat listener and would like to get together for a meet and greet, a Q&A, whatever it turns out to be, send an email to me at info at nuclearhotseat.com. When I have my schedule a little bit better set, I will let you know a place and a time in the early evening when we can confab, meet, commiserate, maybe even get a little tipsy. I'll be available to answer questions about the show. Maybe this can be an interview the interviewer session. Whatever would work. So let me know and we'll figure it out. I love meeting listeners face-to-face. And right now, fingers crossed, I will be attending the UN with full press credentials. Hold a good thought. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, October 24th, 2023. Did you know that you could get Nuclear Hot Seat delivered via email every week as soon as it posts? And it doesn't cost you anything, and it's easy to do. Yeah, you can sign up at your favorite podcast site, but we make it easy if you just go to NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the yellow box, you really can't miss it, put in your first name and an email address, and shazam! Every week, you'll get one email with a link to that week's show and a short description of its content. You'll never miss another episode. Now, if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. And remember, if you can go to Nuclear Hot Seat and donate, we really need your help. Anything, anything at all will be really appreciated because your support means everything. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2023. Libby Halevi, Nuclear Hot Seat and Heartistry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed. As long as you cite the name of the show, anyone you quote, and yeah, throw my name in as well. For now, this is Libby Halevi of Nuclear Hot Seat, reminding you that it was Pope Francis who said, Nuclear weapons exist in the service of a mentality of fear that affects not only the parties in conflict, but the entire human race. That's it. Your weekly nuclear wake-up call. So whatever you do, do not go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat, what are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat, what have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat, the corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb.